On this episode of the Garden of Eden podcast, we talk about how love and light just isn't enough in the yoga community. We need to know where you stand and we need you to speak your mind. If you like the Garden of Eden podcast and want to see us grow, share the podcast with a friend. Leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. Without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Garden of Eden podcast. My name is Eden. And I'm Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Hey, girl. Hey. I miss you. I miss you. (laughs) (laughs) When was the last time I saw you? Was it? It wasn't a year ago. You came after that, didn't you? I did come after that. I think it was, was it September? I don't know. It, It was very close together. Everything ran together in my head. Mm-hmm. That was when I stayed by Manhattan Beach, and we went to Cafe Wild, which I love Cafe Wild. That's crazy that you remember the name of that place, but I guess you are a blogger, so mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> They're right by the beach. You can just walk down the little hill to the beach, and Jessica's a beach snob, if you guys don't know, so I walk down to the beach, and she's like, ew, there's an airplane. Let's go back to Orange <laughs> County. <laughs> That sounds like me. (laughs) I'm like, ma'am, I'm from Texas. Our beaches are mud water, so this is like heaven to me, even with an airplane. I like to pretend that I'm like far away on some beach in Hawaii. Like, I don't want to see cars. I don't want to hear them. I don't want to see airplanes, but (sighs) it's never the case in the city, so. I know. That was so long ago. That was when I did that panel. That doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but a lot has happened between then and now. A lot has happened in just the past, I don't know, three, four months. It seems like a whole year smashed into this little segment of time. Um, I'm tired. <laughs> uh, I remember a few podcasts back, I was like... I'm fine. I love quarantine. Is something wrong with me? Am I some kind of weird fucked up human that I'm just like, oh, I'm fine. But now I'm just like, what the fuck, man? Like, <laughs> I don't even cuss that much, but like there are no other words than what the fuck, man, what that fuck? makes sense. Seriously, I, um, I uh, like to be alone. <laughs> I spend a lot of time alone. And in fact, when I'm in like a very... Um, social setting, like for a long period of time, I like need to get alone, be alone. But this is, um, this is enough. Like I am ready to be a social butterfly again. I miss looking at people. (laughs) I miss hugging my friends. Uh, I did break down and see, I saw two friends a couple of weeks ago. Um, but that was it. That's all it's been in three, what we're at three and a half months now, three months. Exactly. I don't know. Six years. I started seeing my family um, pretty soon after we'd been in isolation, like as soon as all of us had been isolated enough to know that we likely didn't have the virus, we saw each other, but they were all isolated as well. So it was like pretty safe, but I haven't really seen anyone other than that, other than when I went to my job um, to clean out my office, I saw you know, my boss and a couple of coworkers, we went to grab lunch before we went to clean out our offices. It was out on a patio. 
Um, None of us had really been anywhere either. And even that was weird. Sitting out on a patio, like, I just felt so nervous Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. like, should I be doing this? Is this irresponsible? But also this restaurant posted on Instagram a few weeks ago that they might be closing within a few weeks. Like, so this might be helping them and the waiters having on masks, no menus, you... Which was pretty cool, actually, the no menus thing. You just had to scan a QR code and it came up on your phone in order to not having people touch, in order to not have people touch the same menus um, or them have to wipe down menus, which was pretty cool. But it's just, other than that, I've been at home. My boyfriend might come back down tomorrow because he thought it was our anniversary this month. (laughs) It is not our anniversary (laughs) this month, it's next month, but. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, um, I went to a burger stand that was outside on the side of the beach and they were observing, they were practicing social distancing with their seating. So like there were very few seats. Um, and it was like right on the ocean with the breeze. I wasn't near anybody. Did that once. Um, haven't done anything since then. You know, picked up takeout a few times. I've had delivery a few times, mostly, just eating at home. Um, I have been going on walks and I've been to the beach a few times, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. It seems like with the numbers where they are, I think I'm going to mask up for my next outing. Um, and probably going to stay off the beach until things start to change just because it's scary. <laughs> and yeah, things are going like in the opposite direction. Um, that they should be going, and I have, like, I feel guilty, I feel scared, I feel frustrated, so I think I'm just going to continue. I'm going to dial myself back a little bit. Um, I'm still going to do walks and stuff, but I'm going to use my masks um, just because I've noticed there have been more and more people out, and I understand the risks of being outside and all of that, um, and I'm not judging. Like, I'm beyond that point right now. I think at the beginning I was very judgmental of people that were doing things like this. But now I totally, I get it. I understand everybody um, is mentally in a different state. And not everybody has a home where they're, um, you know, comfortable and safe and healthy um, being, you know, sequestered. So it's just, it sucks. I'm just complaining. Like, I'm looking forward to the next year beyond this when we can kind of get back to just some some sort of like just peace of mind to be able to be outside. Yeah, I second that. And I've been walking from the beginning too. I felt like being out in open air like that was just safe enough. I do take a mask with me and I cross the street if I see someone else like coming down the same way and try to stay safe that way. But I feel like still looking after your mental and physical health during all of this is super important. So that's why I continue to walk. I also want to make sure that I have strong lungs since this is a respiratory disease. So in the event that I did contract COVID, I would hope that my lungs and everything would be strong enough. So walking is a big part of that and is always in the back of my mind when I'm walking, like building up my lungs and my endurance is important to me. Absolutely. I mean, another part of my, I guess, general like safety concern is COVID, but also like I feel 
like as a black woman here in Orange County, being by myself, I have started to feel increasingly more um, aware of my surroundings and how people are reacting to me um, out on these trails. And I've had a couple of incidents recently where I just didn't feel like super safe. I guess I felt some aggression towards a few people. Uh, and that's part of my general like negative feeling right now, for sure. It's probably the bigger part than the COVID thing, unfortunately. So when I'm saying like, I'm scared and I'm like tired, like it's like all encompassing. <laughs> oh yeah. I totally agree. I was talking to my friend Chrissy on Instagram and it was around a situation that had happened to a black woman where, they're still saying alleged, but um, lighter fluid yeah, or the girl gasoline. In Wisconsin, yeah, was it? Yeah, yep. where gasoline and a lighter were thrown into her car. And I think about it all the time. I live in a predominantly white neighborhood. And um, even though I'm in Texas, I'm in Austin, so it's the most progressive city in Texas, but there are still a good majority of people, especially in my area, that feel a lot differently than I do about. <laughs> politics and white supremacy. So just walking around on my own, I am always thinking that like I took a new route the other day and I was like, oh man, like this is kind of scary. Like not a lot of cars frequent this way. Um, And also thinking two days prior to me taking that walk, I saw some, you know, good old boys with their Confederate flag stickers on the back of their truck in this exact same area. So I have on headphones, maybe I'm not as aware as I should be. And I was talking to her about all of that, like, that's scary. And I don't want to like be scared to leave my house alone. And then also just in general, my parents live 35 minutes away. So when I drive to their house, I'm even afraid then because APD is fucking racist and they use excessive force all the time. And now they're mad because of all of the protests and stuff. So to feel, to fear retaliation from law enforcement on top of the already fear that exists throughout the year about the brutality on black people, that fucking sucks to be like, oh man, the people that are supposed to protect and serve are now pissed off because they're being taken, like being held accountable. So I have to worry about that on top of it. It's just, it's really, like you said, it's hard and I'm tired and my boyfriend's a black man, a big black man. And I'm nervous for him and I'm nervous for all of my cousins and my dad's a truck driver and him and his, his partner that he drives with, they're both black men, big black men, and they're stopping in these little hick towns and places where people are probably upset about everything that's happening in the world. And it's just, it sucks to like have to think about those things all the time. Um, it sucks. And then like to experience it firsthand really starts to, um, like if you let it, it can just make you feel like a bad person and make you like, it does something to your confidence. Um, I mean, I, I, I live in Orange County in Southern California and people think of this place as being super progressive and super multicultural, da, 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 da. And it is to an extent, but Orange County is conservative and it, I think it's swung conservative, conservative until 
the last election and just barely. Um, so uh, it's palpable here. <laughs> this is like Huntington Beach is not too far from where I live. And that's kind of a hot spot for um, racism and Nazis and like all those weird protests happen there and all those things that were questionable that happened in Orange County happened there. And um, I just like the in the last couple of weeks being out on trails on my own, I've had some run ins with people that were um, jolting like um, and it just it sucks that we're going through this and it sucks that people who have never experienced it want to deny or erase that this is actually happening and I I understand my privilege as like a fair skinned woman of color. Um so if I'm feeling it, <laughs> can you imagine my brother or my mother, you know what I mean, who are in darker skin or black uh and there's no question about it, right? I think most people look at me and they're like, "Okay, you're black." And then a lot of people look at me and like, "Oh, you're black and maybe you're white too. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe you're Puerto Rican, maybe you're Afro." So like I understand like that's how people perceive me and I understand that it's different the darker your skin is the more undeniable your blackness is and it's just if if I'm feeling this way and people are not telling me that I'm imagining it or it's not happening or I'm over exaggerating then we have a problem and I just started opening up about what has happened to me recently um on the internet and it's been met with people challenging what I have to say. Like, oh, are you sure you weren't imagining that? Are you sure you're not oversensitive? And it's just like, I'm so tired of this. It's so hard to um, continue to be not a complete bitch. Like, that's the only way I can describe it. Like, how am I supposed to hold space for you and and be respectful when you um, are so ignorant to what's going on? And not just ignorant, but like the audacity to deny somebody's experience. Like I can't imagine somebody telling me, explaining a traumatic experience that, that I have no insight into and then me challenging or questioning them as my first response. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. It's very frustrating. I don't even know <laughs> that I really have the words to explain how frustrating it is. And it just gets you thinking about your entire life and like ways that you've been forced to like assimilate so that you're not discriminated against and it gets you thinking about how ways that you view yourself aren't who you are even at all like I mean for so much of my life I thought Maybe I was kind of a bully or I was bitchy or all of these things. And it's like, no, I was just saying how I felt. And because I'm black, people labeled it as being bitchy or being angry because I'm not allowed to show any emotion without being labeled like the aggressor. When I wasn't the aggressor. <laughs> I think that absolutely 100% comes into play with kind of um, dissecting these feelings. And I think I, I wrote about that fairly recently, like as a 
woman, a black woman in a large body. I've always been big. I remember being like in private school in Orange County, <laughs> the only like fat black girl, like the only fat girl in most cases. Sometimes it was like one or two <laughs> and definitely the only black girl um, always just looked to as the aggressor in every situation. Um Never, oh gosh, I and this is gonna sound so petty, but like when you're five or six, it stands out in your mind. I remember there was a girl in like kindergarten or preschool, whatever this would have been, and she was, you know, cute little girl. She looked like a little doll, a little white girl. I think her name was like Samantha or something. And we're all losing our teeth, you know, and it makes you talk funny. She lost mm-hmm. her teeth and she was talking with the lisp. And I remember like the teacher and the teacher's aide, like just like fawning over her. Like, oh my God, she's so cute. Say spaghetti again. Da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I remember the contrast and the way they treated me. They treated me like I was like... um Nothing, like just nothing, like no regard, like no kindness, no extra attention, um, a little rude, no patience. Like I remember asking you to go to the bathroom in the middle of one of these like little like sessions where they were like just falling out over how cute this girl was. And like, I remember they're like, I don't, they were just like mean, <laughs> like they didn't want to take me to the bathroom. Um, and I remember being so young and that having such an impact on my Uh, self-esteem and I carried that for so long and that compiled with so many other things that had happened around that age um and yeah it just always stuck with me I remember just kind of adapting like being really quiet and never wanting to speak up and I remember it coming to a head when I got to like I don't know third or fourth grade we started doing those reading placement tests and things like that and I was so shy I would never really do well at reading aloud in class and that's when we started doing like the popcorn reading and all that Mm -hmm. and it was just me being shy and like doubting myself so it appeared that I couldn't really read very well and so they put me in this like remedial level of reading like they like backed me up a couple of stages in my reading level in this Montessori school I was in and I remember when we did the standardized testing the first time like I tested at like 11th grade level or something my reading comprehension and like I remember them calling a meeting with my mom and like just being baffled. Like, well, she's underperforming in class, but the tests say that she's reading at this ex- excellent level. Da, 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 da. And there was just this confusion. And I just thought I was stupid. Like, you know what I mean? I thought that there was something wrong with me. Like, I was ugly. I was stupid. Uh, I was the aggressor. I was the problem. So I never had that voice to speak up for myself. And it even impacted the way I performed in school. So. I'm sorry, that was like a super long <laughs> ranty rant, like very like, um, yeah. <laughs> no, and I get that. Things that happen at a young age, especially to black children, do shape a lot of their reality or shape how they choose to interact and kind of change who they are to be a little bit more accepted right. over time. And I talked about it in my Juneteenth post, how I, you know, most black people know what Juneteenth is for a very long time. Um, A lot of people are just finding out and I'm glad that they know. I'm not going to be like, you should have known. I'm glad that people are finding out what Juneteenth is. And I knew at a very young age and I had talked about in that post, I 
had moved from Detroit to Colorado Springs, and it was fucking weird. Like, there were... I had never seen that many white people before, and Juneteenth was the first time that I had been around a lot of black people again, and I felt, even at a very young age, I felt, like, calm being around all black people Mm -hmm. because up until that time, everything was so different. Like, Santa Claus was white. In Detroit, Santa Claus is black. Like, (laughs) every single Santa Claus in Detroit is black. So I was, like, crying because my mom was trying to get me to take pictures with this white man that was not Santa Claus. I remember going to her boyfriend at the time was in the military. We went to a military um, ball. And they got all of the kids toys and, you know, they had the parents tell beforehand how many girls, how many boys, and they had bought us all sky dancers. Do you remember those dolls? Yeah. They were like yeah. a fairy and you pull the, the string and they- Get caught in your mine, hair, take mm-hmm. your eye out. Yep. <laughs> I remember not wanting to take mine because she was white and all of the dolls were white. There were no black dolls. All of them were white. So Juneteenth was the first time that I had seen that many black people because even in my school, there was one other black girl. She was biracial. We were pretty close to the same color, even though both of my parents are black. Um, And I remember people always pulling our hair to see whose hair was longer because most black kids, if you grew up in the 80s, you wore these little ponytails and then your mom twisted your hair and put a barrette on the bottom (laughs) and a bobble on the top. And everyone would pull our twist to see whose was the longest. And so I told my mom I didn't want to wear twists anymore. I said it was because it took too long to do them, but I just didn't want people pulling our hair to compare the length because white girls have long, straight hair and we all had, me and her name was Cookie. Me and Cookie, her name was Zahira, but everyone called her Cookie because no one cared to learn how to pronounce her name. Mm-hmm. And I, so my mom started putting my hair in an Afro puff. So I would take a barrette and hide it in my pencil box. So when I got to school, I would twist my bun and pin it down so I didn't have an Afro puff and people weren't asking about my puffs or to touch my puffs all day. Yeah, I have. I definitely have hair memories. <laughs> you, just, <laughs> you just brought them up. I remember. Oh, I remember. I remember. <sighs> like my mom making me wear my hair a certain way, just like you're just saying. And then I would go to school and I go to the bathroom and I'd wet it down and I'd pull it back real tight in a ponytail or a bun, so that like people weren't looking and touching my hair, like because it was just too much for a little girl to deal with like where you're mm-hmm. coming into your own especially at that prepubescent stage where you're fucking awkward your body is changing um men are starting to sexualize you and you don't know what it means like you're just all over the place and it was just too much and i <laughs> i remember running to the bathroom and doing that to my hair and my mom picking me up and be like well, what did you do to your hair <laughs> it was so pretty <laughs> what the hell <laughs> I know. And like, it's fucked up that we even have to look back and think that. No, you haven't, you shouldn't have to look. I had a great childhood, but still having to look back and think about those things, black kids shouldn't have to. It's fucked up. No, and if, uh, 
if black people weren't hidden in the shadows so often by society, by media, by the history books, by our curriculum and school, um, we wouldn't be such a fucking mystery to the rest of the world. We have been here for 400 years. You know what I mean? We're not new. You know, we've been here for a long time. It shouldn't be a mystery. Uh, it shouldn't be this way. We shouldn't we shouldn't still be having this conversation. And that's, I think that that's what a lot of, um, that's what a lot of people that have not experienced this think like, Oh, it's been this long. It doesn't exist. I don't see it. I'm not engaged in the black community. I don't have this experience. It looks fine on the surface level. Um, I see some black representation on TV. It's part of the culture. Everything is fine. Um, And that's your privilege. You don't have to see it. (laughs) Right. Right. And, I think this is a nice segue to talk about this, how this topic impacts the yoga community. Um, And I think that, I think that it's important for um, instructors or anybody that's got like a following, whatever you are, if you're in this community, in the yoga community, in the spiritual community, and you are, especially if you're making money off of (laughs) this community, (laughs) I think that you have a responsibility to talk, uh, to speak on these topics. I think it's not enough to um, be not racist. You know what I mean? Like, we've all seen the memes. We've all seen the quotes. I think it's responsibility of anybody who's in a leader position and in the yoga community and the spiritual community, whatever you want to call it. Anybody who has a following, who is making money, it's their responsibility to speak on this topic. And not even in a specific way. I think it's important that you speak your truth. And if your truth is against all Black Lives Matter, I think you need to speak that. I think that Mm -hmm. people need to know where you stand. And this is a time where people are looking to their leaders, to their teachers, to their gurus, to their instructors for guidance. And this is the time to speak up. And I see a lot of spiritual bypassing in the community. And um, it's just so upsetting to me. Yeah. And what we mean is it's not enough to just say love and light and we accept everyone here. It's just not enough. You need to say explicitly, I do not condone racism. Like I welcome the black community. I stand with the black community and be giving steps to your community on how they can help dismantle this system that is not broken. This is how the system was created. It's working exactly how it was intended to. And if you don't believe that, educating yourself and educating your peers on how this system is working exactly how it was intended, not turning to black people to educate you on where police came from, what their duties originally were. It's not our job. It's we need people to step up and love and light isn't enough. Uh, absolutely love and light isn't enough. Um, but also, if you don't agree with this 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 whole movement, if you feel differently, I think it's important to speak your mind as well because your audience needs to know who they're supporting and who they're being led by. And I don't think it's time to hide behind a black box. Like if you are bold enough to feel the way you feel and you are in a leadership position, you know, people are looking to you for advice, for guidance. Um, We need to know who we're supporting. So it's not enough to stay silent or hide behind your black box. Like this is the fucking work. This is the work. We're in the work right now. Love and light is a very small part of yoga. Um, (laughs) You can't 
you can't get to that point until you've been through the darkest of times until you've been through it. You don't really know what that means. And we're in it right now and it's not time to ignore it. Um, It's time to speak up and watch the cards fall where they fall. My teacher personally was silent on this. Okay. And I have so much regard and um, look up to her so much that it was really baffling to see one week go by, two weeks go by, three weeks go by, and nothing. Meanwhile, I'm getting emails about this retreat and this workshop and this class, and I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? Um, I'm connected with my teacher uh, and a lot of the fellow students and people in the program and her teacher, a lot of people in the community. I made a post on social media essentially calling this behavior out and not calling her or naming her, um, but specifically there was a thread on my post where we were talking about our instructors and I mentioned I was disappointed. And it got around and it got back to her and um, it sparked a conversation in the community. Um, Her teacher actually uh, set up some calls to kind of discuss it with uh, the folks that she's leading um, and ultimately... It, it resulted in really good conversations and people understanding, um, understanding the sentiment of like, you need to speak your mind. And um, my teacher's teacher, her name is Amy Willer. She's pretty well known in the community. Um, she had released um, kind of like a, a, a live where she was discussing the result of this conversation and, she expressed exactly like, yeah, whether you are for this movement or against it, if you're in this world, you need to speak up. People are looking to you and the students that are meant for you will find you. You know what I mean? Your path is going to be your path <clears throat> regardless. You know what I mean? But this is not the time to be silent. So it felt really powerful to have that sentiment echoed through the community by somebody who is uh, more highly regarded than myself that's, that's well-known and experienced to kind of understand that perspective. Like, we don't need you to just, like, um, put on a, a show. Um, you know, we don't need to be placated. I don't want you to see a black box just because you think you're supposed to do that or whatever to make, you know, some kind of a fake statement. But, like, actually speak up and talk about how you feel. This isn't the time to hide away. Yeah. And I guess that can kind of segue into performative activism as a whole Mm -hmm. but maybe we should pick up on that next week we want to thank you guys so much for listening and we'll talk to you really soon bye